Rodgers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Special final, JCM Jones from the mothership. Joe Patrick from 90.9 The Game and Dirty Saw Soccer is over there. Kirk Castle on the intro. The song is Chances. Joe Patrick, feeling good on a Monday morning? After, oh my gosh. After a big Saturday night? Oh, it was, that was like true healing that that Saturday night. <laughs> Just like the whole thing from the performance on the field to the vibe in the stadium. I mean, we weren't even planning on doing this podcast today. We were kind of like tentatively planning on doing it on Wednesday so we could capture the CONCACAF Champions League as well which will be in in the same stadium tomorrow but we just couldn't we couldn't let today go by without kind of getting out there and and touching base with everybody and answering questions and stuff because it's just too exciting I mean that was that was legit fun and like I'm so excited for this season I felt amazing but I won't feel completely healed I don't think until Atlanta United wins the goal of the week voting by like 90 (laughs) percent once that goes down I think everything will feel a little bit right in the world it'll feel nice no about the own goal you're talking about right for the own goal, right, exactly. <laughs> Everyone write in own goal for the goal of the week on MLSsoccer.com. Um, man, no, 20,000 people there. Uh, Atlanta United plays an open game, plays a game that had a lot of transition moments, plays a game where I think they had 18 shots. Is that right? 18 shots. One? Almost 18 felt like back shots. to normal. That was like that was like 18 to 20 shots was like every week under Tata Martino. It feels good mm-hmm. again. Feels good. They catch a break with a, a goofy own goal, but they, it came from them applying some pressure and some chances, everything like that. They pull away late in classic Tata Martino era Atlanta United fashion and and snuff out a comeback attempt from another team that simply was worse. That yeah. simply was worse than them. Yep. And that all feels very, very familiar. I'm going to be a wet blanket here in a little bit, but for okay. the first part, let's, let's just, let's just sit in it let's well, just relax in it and enjoy it well shoot because i was just gonna say the thing that even makes me more excited is the fact that despite the good numbers you know the fact that 18 shots was great to see and great to kind of feel um you could see that there's so much room for this team to get even better and you know mm-hmm. they don't have a full firing striker right now uh but there's good new good signs of that with joseph martinez's appearance i thought it was by far his best appearance of the season um and you could see like the struggles that marcelino Moreno was having on the left hand side and I think that he'll only continue to improve there. So um, there's just so much room for this team to get better. And they're already just playing in a more attractive, fun way that gets people excited again. You could really just sense that from the fans. Joseph jumped. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph finally jumped and it felt he beat a guy, too. He didn't just jump. He got up a, above a center back and it, he didn't quite get to the ball. I don't think I think they'll cross a little bit over, but Joseph jumped. And that's all. That's all you really, really need to know. Before we get to all of that, though, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to let you guys know about. We had mentioned last week that we had a Lorenta view up with Jeff Lorenowitz on the Patreon that is now available in your podcatching streams wherever you're listening to this. That Lorenta view should be available as well. Go check that out. It's an hour and a half with Jeff. I just want to explain real quickly why we decided to do it. It's just because what he talked about was just too important for everybody for everybody not to hear it just because of how in-depth the interview was and um so i thank you to our patrons obviously they got early access to it and if you're and if you like it please join join the patreon community we'll have more interviews like that every week um including this week 
Yeah, there's one coming up this afternoon, releasing about 4 p.m. today with Mike Conti, the radio voice of Atlanta United. Enjoy talking to Mike for a little bit there. And we've always got stuff coming to you guys. Uh, again, we just thought this one was a little too special to pass up. We're going to get Jeff back. We're going to get Jeff and Parky together, I think, at one point, which is going to be a blast. We're going to keep bringing folks in throughout the year to, to give you guys the stuff you're, you know, asking us to do because we keep yep. getting requests for it and we're happy to fulfill them as best we can. So we appreciate you all who subscribe. We appreciate everyone who listens. Go check that interview out and let's move on to business time. Business time, Joe Patrick, and and no more hot take Monday. Today is relaxed take Monday because I didn't feel I don't know about you. I didn't. I was telling someone about this the other day that I didn't feel overwhelmed by the emotion of being back in a stadium with people and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I simply felt content and normal in a way Mm. that I kind of had it in a while. And that wasn't something that like necessarily triggered this huge response in me. It just triggered this kind of sense of, okay, yeah, this is this is what I do. This is where I'm supposed to be. And it feels good to be back in all those conditions. What about you? Yeah, it kind of that's right. I mean, it kind of felt important again to like be doing what we do. Um, Just (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, you know, it it felt like Atlanta United was back in in terms of uh, being one of the premier teams in this league and being an important team to cover, uh, not just because of the play on the field, but because of the fans and, you know, 20,000 people in the stadium, over 20,000. Um, I'm not sure if that was the tops in MLS. I would imagine that it probably yes. was. Uh, just because of the size of the stadium, they can expand more to more fans. So, you know, I just thought it was it was yeah, it was kind of a return to normalcy in that respect. I kind of felt that just after the game, especially with the feedback we were getting from fans and stuff, you could tell people even who weren't at the stadium were just more engaged in the game. And um, I think obviously one of the highlights from the game was the the Heinze leap of joy. We, we need some <laughs> some nickname for this, but that was incredible to see. I didn't even see it until mm-hmm. later on in the game. I think somebody posted on Twitter or something and or all the team did, I guess. And um, just beautiful to see that kind of emotion and joy after the, or after something like that happens. All that emotion, all that emotion. We're going to talk about those emotions in a little <laughs> bit. Jeff Patrick, you had a special Uh-oh. involvement in those emotions. But but first, uh, I mean, we, we can start with the question here from Nick that kind of sums everything up. He says, did it feel like the old times to you? It felt like the old times to me. I was so excited. And that's the general sense we've gotten from everyone in the fan base. And I think everyone should be. Like you said, it was an extremely encouraging game. However, however, and this is the part where Sam ruins everything. Again, I don't know how sustainable Zeke scoring the goal of his life <laughs> and getting a fluky own goal is going to be every single game, right? And, and that's the one thing I can kind of throw on this to, to kind of dampen things. But... I will say that if you are looking for Zeke to take a step forward, you should not be looking at that goal. That goal. Let's be honest about the goal, y'all. Let's be honest. He did a bad free kick and then he ran over and basically just anger swung at it. (laughs) And it went the hell in. It was 
freaking awesome, right? Like full credit for that. But like, even he said, like, yeah, I didn't see it go in. I fell over after I hit it. Um, you're going to get one of those every now and then. Um, and it, it's certainly a confidence boost where you should really be excited about Zeke though, is there were these moments in transition that he had not been making the correct choice. He had been making too many choices. In fact, it seemed way more comfortable for him to make those choices and, and the correct choices and transition moments, transition passes and everything like that. That's a big, big sign for Zeke moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that, you know, this game was a perfect kind of encapsulation of the volatility of soccer and chances and how goals come about. Because, yeah, you have a goal of freak goal from Z from Barco there with that shot. You have kind of another freak goal with the own goal. Um, mm. But then again, you have Heinemann who has a clear open chance who hits the side netting on basically an empty <laughs> net. And you have Jake mm-hmm. Mulraney who was set up perfectly from by Barco, by the way, um, who misses a, a, a clear cut opportunity. I don't know what the XG was on that shot, but it was probably the, the best open play goal that was really created through a passage of play from Atlanta United's attackers. Right. It started with Joseph from the back, by the way. So, you know, it's just one of those things where the team didn't really get rewarded for some of their best opportunities that they had in the match. But then, of, of course, they took advantage of just some crazy good luck and good good fortune that they had. So um, in that respect, it was kind of a, a classic example of why XG, you know, can um, be true, but also not be true at the same time. Like you just have to kind of take things on their own. So but I mean, overall, again, I look at the shots. I always look at the shots as the main metric of like how a team's offensive output is performing and 18 shots is exactly what you want to see at home. You know, they weren't all great shots, but I think that, you know, when you just pepper the goal like that, you're going to create, you know, opportunities Mm -hmm. off of spills from the goalkeeper and things like that eventually. So I just thought it was overall an encouraging performance, but like you said, I mean, it wasn't perfect. There's definitely places to improve for the team. Um, But I was happy. I was happy to see it overall. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and get, that was, that was all of the the grumpiness early half for this. I think (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and counteract all of that and say that the, the xg did end up at two goals for atlanta united to one 1.3 for chicago and that's that's a good sign just to get the two goals because something that baffled all of us last year is how atlanta united could not even get above 0.5 like you kind yeah. of most teams like luck in it was to really 0.5 bad five at least once right <laughs> yeah. it wasn't happening in any of the games none of them so for them to be hovering around two for like joe said getting those chances getting the shots and you're right there were there were very good chances that were not not taken the Emerson rebound again uh, that that chance that Jake had after Joseph kick-started a counter-attack with a gorgeous diagonal long ball from the back that, that got to Zeke and then uh, Jake got played through it all everyone should be positive about this I'm not yeah. trying to ruin anything sure I'm just saying that you know um there was a little bit of luck involved but sometimes you, you get that and sometimes it, it turns out your way and everyone should be excited about that. everyone should continue to be excited about the defense as well everything that's happening in the back line continues to be solid you're gonna give up some kind of weird goals like that sometimes like the one they gave up in this game was just a ball into the box that was covered they were there Anton and Miles were both there they both just forgot to kick the ball <laughs> yeah I it was so strange and going back and watching it it still looks strange I think it was just one of those things where it was just out of their reach both times and uh, you can only get so lucky with those kind of crosses every time if that's the kind of chances you're giving up and that's the only kind of chances you're giving up you're going to take that every single game right and that that creates a huge chance that constitutes a, a huge proportion of the overall chance 
chance creation that Chicago had in the game. And then some of the other goals that were close. I mean, I know people were joking about like the crossbar, or the, the goalpost was uh, the man of the match for Atlanta United. But, you know, some of those were kind of freaky. Like one of the balls that hit the post was saved by Guzan. So you have to give credit to Guzan for making a save that happened early in like the opening minutes Real of the early, game. Like eight minutes. And yeah. then there was another one where Guzan kind of got caught out. It was a it was a nifty little flick by Barrich. But, um, you know, it wasn't a great chance. It would have been a kind of a fluky goal in and of itself. So while the goalpost did help Atlanta United at times, I don't think that the the defense was poor or anything. And it was actually interesting, though, because uh, Gabriel Heinze did say he was like, there's many times they could have scored against us and we have to improve on that. And, you know, I think that there are areas for this team to improve and I'm sure they can, you know, they can secure some things defensively. But overall, I thought it was a, a strong defensive performance as well, especially considering the increased output that this team had offensively. It's it, sometimes when that happens, you can swing where it's like you get you get way more aggressive offensively, but then you leave yourself exposed. And I didn't really think that that was the case for Atlanta in this game. I thought that they controlled the game pretty well for most of it. They never took the curves too fast, right? Like the car they're yeah. driving never, never felt like it was going to swerve or anything like that, but they were still moving at a pretty high speed. And you kind of mentioned those Barrett chances that did go off the post. They would have been freaking incredible. Yeah. Gone <laughs> yeah. In. yeah. Uh, just to keep him off the score sheet in general, he, he's, he's one job, Bob, and his one job is to get <laughs> one goal every single game. And he did not do that. They kept him from doing that this game. It's, it's honest to God. One of the gosh, man, he's like 13 of the last 16 games. He scored a goal. <laughs> so like for him to not do that and this, that's that's a win. Yeah, you know, for that's sure. a win. Even if you did catch a little bit of a break, but he would have had to work extremely hard to get it. So and and, it, and it's interesting the fact that, again, Atlanta United continues to play relatively well defensively. I know they made the one miscue, but then you still have your designated central defender <laughs> sitting on the bench for the for the game. It mm-hmm. will be just be, just be very interesting to see how Alan Franco is eventually incorporated into this 11 I think we'll probably see him play in this CONCACAF Champions League game coming up tomorrow just because it's kind of a a decent time to rotate someone in with fresh legs granted it's on the it's on the back line so it's not like center backs need a ton of rotation but I think we will probably see him but credit to Anton walks credit to Miles Robinson for playing well together um, despite the fact that they know that they've got this great center back coming in that could take one of their jobs and we probably know who that person would be but um, I mean all of that to say that the defense still has room to really improve and continue to get better and I think that overall this team can just get better in all phases still which is really exciting yeah we had some questions about rotation down later in the show and we'll kind of talk more about that but again I think you're right I think Franco does come in Tuesday and probably for Anton if I had to guess but mm-hmm. I would uh, I would give some credit to Anton. I, I was kind of dunking on his athleticism a little bit the other night. And he, he had some moments on Saturday. I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's quicker than I remember. Mm. You know, yeah, he's kind of a big dude, you know, and you don't really expect him to, to quite move like he does. And, and very few people move like Miles does. But he was tracking people, making some runs and, and doing a good job with it, of course, again. Well, with Anton, it's really interesting. I'm kind of, you know, in term if you if we want to do the stock analogy again, like stock up or stock down or whatever, buying or selling, you know, I think in the short term it's kind of unfortunate for him that he has you know that you have Alan Franco coming in who probably will be taking you know his position in the 11 at least for the time being but I do think that long term prospects are very high for Anton Walks based on what he's shown this season and the fact that I mean if we just get fantasy land and project things out here a bit let's say Miles Robinson is sold you know I think that that's something that could reasonably happen after this season you see Miles Robinson get sold for a big fee to Europe 
Then you have Anton walks with an opportunity to come into the starting 11 and prove himself with alongside Alan Franco over the course of a season next year. Again, we're just being playing fantasy land here and he's only 24 years old. I mean, he seems a lot older than that, but he still has a lot of career ahead of him. Um, he just, he seems older because he came in in 2017 uh, and you just assume he was only what 18 or something at the time when he came over. So Gosh, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe 19, but still he was very, very young and he was just impressive when he came over and played in 2017. So a little bit unfortunate for Anton in the short term, but I think long term, the prospects are still very high for a player like him. And I think that he'll prove to be great value for Atlanta United just as a player in terms of the production you get versus the cost of having him on the roster over the long term. We had a whole lot of questions about this match in general, and it's, uh, I think we'll just kind of move on and, and get to the rest of everything going on. I'm trying to hold to off those. on like specific yeah. player takes because I know we have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. We had a lot. Um, y'all are, of course, obviously very excited. The, the engagement is up. The engagement is up for the content. <laughs> and folks, that makes us feel real good. Um, before we get to that, some other news and notes from throughout the week. Uh, Mateus Hosetu has acquired his green card. Y'all worried about the international Somehow. slots? <laughs> Don't worry about the international slots. <laughs> How is how is Mateus Rosetto getting a green card before Anton walks? Like, I don't I have no idea how green cards work, honestly. My roommate is an immigration lawyer and I still don't know, <laughs> even though I've asked him about this multiple, multiple times. Um, elsewhere, Gabriel Einze spoke out a little bit more about wanting to use academy players in MLS. I think I the quote was translated, of course, but I think the general vibe of it was that the rules that limit how many players you can bring up and how often you can do it was some of the frustration with him. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. And and it's just worth pointing out because it reiterates something that Frank DeBoer had a very similar complaint when he was here because he wants, you know, a, a, what Frank DeBoer at least said last year was it's a big motivating factor for kids who feel like, you know, when they see that their talent is bringing them to an MLS level, then it's a, just a huge motivator to have that opportunity there as like a carrot. Um, and it's just unfortunate that because of rules that they can't do that. I don't know how it's really fixable um, because of the various entities involved, but um, you'd love to see something happen down the line that would make it easier for teams to do that, or at least you'd be able to use more like USL players. Maybe um, yeah. again, there's competitive rules and things I, that would prevent it, but it's unfortunate, but it's just interesting to hear that coming from another Atlanta United manager. You would think that somewhere down the line, a league that is trending towards, Towards young players being swooped up by mm-hmm. larger clubs for money and is encouraging those things with mechanisms like young DP rules, etc., would find a way to make academy players more accessible to their first team. And that's kind of my only really thought on that. And I think we will, you know, mm-hmm. as the play the kids movement, etc., continues to grow. That's, and it, that's what I'll offer there. And I would just add, you know, of course, it's very exciting to hear that coming from the manager as well. And like Tata, he was kind of overseeing the academy to an extent, but he was not really relying on those players whatsoever. Tata was kind of known for having a very solid core that he really relied upon. And so it's very interesting to see Gabriel Heinze kind of expanding that out and relying on some younger players like Machop Chol, who came in and played in the first game of the season against Orlando. You know, that's a, that stuff's exciting to see. And it's really cool to just see players that have come up in this kind of local area um, be able to to kind of um, show themselves on the, on the pitch for the first team. Speaking of the academy, some new 
news there. Tony Anon, the Academy Director from the very beginning of this thing, is leaving in the summer. I believe the date is June 1st for the head coaching job at South Carolina. He'll remain in charge of the Academy and as interim head coach of the twos until then. But Joe, you're more plugged into this kind of thing. You have a twos report going up every now and then on the Patreon for subscribers as well. What can you tell us about this move? Uh, <laughs> I was shocked. Just honestly. Roll with it. I, I didn't, I did not see this coming. Honestly, uh, I was actually surprised that like the head coach at South Carolina would be a step up from the job that he has here. Um, but maybe it is in pay. You know, the, the, those universities have a lot of money they can throw around. So I'm sure that plays into it. But, you know, also something that one of our writers, Greg Outer, said was that maybe you see South Carolina kind of becoming a little bit of a pipeline in and of itself for Atlanta United, because Atlanta United does seem to have some connections with these local universities. Wake Forest is a guy or is a is a, is a club that they've sent players to. Um, Clemson, Clemson is a is, is a is a college that they've you know had a lot of associations with. So maybe. South Carolina becomes one of those teams as well. And that can be very useful for the club because you can use, uh, you know, the college ranks as an extension or as like another tool in the tool belt for how you develop players. Because at the end of the day, it's all about trying to get these kids as many minutes as possible. And so that can be a useful tool for the club. But he'll be around. I should clarify, he'll he'll stick. He'll be the interim coach still for Atlanta United, too, until midsummer. I think it's June or something. And then he'll yeah. be on his way. So they'll make a permanent announcement of who the next coach will be, I guess, at that time. I have one Tony Anon story. I'll share it real quick since we're kind of need to move quickly here. But I was what just started covering the team. I was like still an intern at the Mary Daily Journal. I was walking into the training ground and he stopped me. He was walking out. He stopped me. He's like, you're not one of those damn silverback fans, are you? And I was like, what? No, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, the silverbacks were like playing a scrimmage or something like that. And some of them had like come over to, to watch it when they weren't supposed to or, or something at hmm. the training ground. But I remember him just like checking me just to be sure that I wasn't like like invading <laughs> another scrimmage. It was funny. Um, elsewhere, Maurice Adu is the new color commentator along our friend Kevin and Jill in the booth. I did. We didn't get to listen to it, obviously, yeah. but I heard some of the highlights. It sounded good. Uh, everyone. I, I really like Maurice. He seems he always seems really, really sharp on broadcast. Uh, he seemed really, really sharp uh, when he was mentioning over and over again that he was at the Atlanta United game on the national broadcast the next day for Fox Sports One. It was really funny to keep being like, yeah, I, I saw that that Barco goal. I was there. Do you guys know that? I was there. It was kind of that the entire time. Um, we'll have, can we say that yet? Um, probably we're trying to get him on the show. So we, we may have him on five strike final for our patrons. So there's another reason to, to, sign up and uh, come part of the community. But yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool just to have a kind of a national pundit being your also your local guy. I mean, I think that that's uh, kind of impressive and kind of a badge of honor, I think, for for, <laughs> for some people. So yeah, and I've always kind of he's really grown as a commentator. Uh, and I think that he's one of the best out there right now on the national scene. So um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see how he gets along because it's a fun commentary team that Atlanta United has with Kevin Egan and Jill, Jillian Sackovitz. So um, just cool, cool story. Another flex for Atlanta United, I think. Exactly. Right. I think yeah, right. it is a flex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I want to move on to this before we move on to the questions because Joe, you um, you got some. Maybe it was just in our very very small circle of people who noticed this, but you asked a, a question to Gabrielinze, and it was he seemed kind of annoyed with it. I kind of bungled the question. It was it was too confusing of a question, which is part which is part of the problem. Um, I was trying to ask just generally just to see if. 
he would express him verbally how he was feeling in that moment where he did the Heinze the leap of joy and, you know, gave the fist bump. I, I know we're all familiar with what I'm talking about now. And he was like, what the do you think I was feeling? <laughs> And he's like, I was elated, of course, or whatever. Yeah, he didn't seem um, super pleased with the question, but I don't know if he took it in the way that I was trying to convey. So it was kind of funny. Though. I was I was cracking up. It was like the one time where we do these webinars where, well, I mm -hmm. hope they can't see us. We can't really. Um, it's kind of like a black screen that you're talking to. It's it's a little bit awkward. So I was kind of laughing. Like as soon as he started, he reacted like that. I looked at you. We both were just kind of giggling <laughs> at, at the uh, emotional reaction, which is what I want to say here. It's exactly what we want. I don't mean to get too yeah. into like a journalism justice jamboree here, but sometimes I don't know. People are like, oh man, like the coach dunked on him. Suck it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like in your face, J journalist from the Viper pit of journalism here in Atlanta, you know, but, but sometimes, you know, you have to ask a question like that to, to get a response. It, 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 that's, that's the goal is to get those real genuine reactions and to get those real genuine thoughts not every question has to be like this long thought out like right. incredibly in-depth thing um that's not necessarily our job to to talk as journalists right it's just to put the question out there let them react as they are and i think it gave us a really genuine look and into gabby i think you know he's um people have kind of talked a bit about like a combative relationship with the media we haven't experienced that at all like yeah, even that response was just you know him being like yeah it's a goal yeah I, I get hyped for that shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just what I do, Yeah, you know? And it was like, okay, yeah, let's go. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. And, and, and you guys should be too. And that's all I really wanted to say. And I, I wanted to, after the game I was watching, I want to give a shout out to uh, Atlanta United Fan TV. They were doing their fan cams after the game. Um, and those were great. It was great to hear the fans kind of talking. And somebody, I don't know who it was, so apologies. I'm not sure what your name is. But he was saying, it was like, it was great to see Heinze react exactly how I react every time we score a goal. You know, it's like that's how mm -hmm. I feel every time. And so I think that that's like a really cool emotional bond that a fan can have with the team and specifically with its manager. It's got to feel good for him. It's the first really huge moment in front of a crowd in that stadium. You know, the, that's the what I was kind of getting at was like, I wonder mm -hmm. what the feeling was for him. Just kind of feeling that emotion again, where you really feel like you're in the arena, you know, because um, mm -hmm. like we, when we talked to Darren on the show, uh, he said that it kind of felt like when you're doing it without fans you're just kind of playing the games to play them just to kind of like get it over with but it doesn't really feel like the real thing you know like what soccer right. is supposed to be and so I think that that's how it felt to me that's how the whole scene came off to me was that was like a return to the way that soccer is supposed to feel and how you should feel when you score a goal alright y'all had a ton of questions about this one we're going to deep dive this whole dang thing right after this quick break Another stunning break, Joe. Listeners had questions. We have lots and lots of answers because there's still a whole, whole lot to get to from this game. We'll start with a collection of questions, all curious about Marcelino Marino. And this is definitely one of the talking points from the game and definitely one of the things that Atlanta United needs to figure out at some point. Maybe not quickly, but figure out at some point because it is becoming maybe not concerning, but a little bit deflating to see a player as talented as Marcelino out on the wing and not thriving in the way we maybe would want or even expect. 
Yeah, I, I put a tweet out there during the game that kind of reminded me of like it was as if Darlington Nagby was playing on the wing, which is not necessarily mm-hmm. a bad thing because he's a good player and he's going to generally give you decent uh, play out there on the wing. But you could tell that the the little connections weren't quite there in terms of um, when to make a certain run or the, the kind of run that Barco wants a player like that to make. There was one time where Barco tried to play what I thought was actually a pretty nice ball between the center back and the fullback, kind of expecting that arcing run in behind into that channel and Morena was just not making it. There were also times where Bello was making these long overlapping runs that were, um, you know, ones that really hurt the lungs. And you would like to generally <laughs> see a, a player rewarded for that, not just for making the run, but because it results in a dangerous opportunity. And um, those those links just weren't quite there. But I think that generally, you know, I gave him a lower rating, but I'm not necessarily like this isn't working. You got to do something different next game. You know, like I think that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we should give a player like Marcelino Moreno time to see, uh, you know, if he can improve him, his play play um and those connections on playing in that position because it's probably not something he's familiar with considering what gabby is asking folks to do and you talked about george making those runs and everything like that and there's a video going around from adam bell's uh wacky who kind of details how george is, is getting centrally into the box a lot of the times he's not making overlapping runs it's not even really underlapping he's just kind of moving into a central channeling almost getting to the half space from the fullback position mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy but when you consider what Marcelino brings all of that makes sense to me in a system where someone like George is designed to make those runs inside you have a player who's good on the ball you have a player who can hopefully potentially start picking out passes to find guys like that as they're getting into the box um I'm not crazy concerned I still think I would maybe love to see him in midfield more than I would out in the wing but considering the personnel we have right now I'm not too troubled by it right yeah yeah I, I think ideally like maybe in an ideal situation you could formulate some different kinds of formations where you are able to pair Barco and Moreno together in more of a central area. Like you could do like a four, four, two diamond kind of thing and have them more in a central area. But I think that with the way that the midfield is working out now, I don't think you really want to mess with that. Barco looks very comfortable in a central role. Heinemann's been playing well these last few games, really ever since the season started, he's been very solid. And same with Franco Ibarra when he's come in, he's just slotting in nicely there and you're not going to move Santiago Sosa. So, um, um, it, it's it's kind of tough that you don't have a better position to move them closer together. But again, I think that, yeah, yeah. there's just time for them to continue to improving that relationship with Moreno out there. I said we were going to get to the questions and I never actually got to the questions, but we kind of covered the general gist of them. Uh, Christian asked if we see him moving back centrally right now. I think we both don't see that. Not yet. Yep. Not yet. Um, Ribbit underscore Inger ask uh, that he just look really good in comparison to where the rest of the team was last year or have things actually been rougher for him this year they've been rougher it's been a, a little bit of a struggle for sure but he's being asked to do different things he's not being asked to being the only person who right. can move the ball forward <laughs> yeah. in a team which was all he could do last year to save that sorry group but uh it's just a different thing it'll come right yeah yeah, yeah. kind of a combination of those two but yeah i totally agree with you, with with what you just said yeah uh, and the second thing or the last one i guess was from timu puki who uh was just wondering general thoughts and wondering if it was more of a chemistry or a tactics issue and i think right now it's just chemistry Chemistry, it's not necessarily the tactics are hurting him it's that the chemistry isn't quite there yet he's gonna start finding george and then george is gonna start having to learn how to finish which is gonna be (laughs) (laughs) oh boy man if he (laughs) ever does that will be really fun but i i I agree with what you say about george and maybe it will help to have a player like moreno who's used to playing central 
and someone like him will be able to adapt better to an a fullback who will not just be overlapping but also be underlapping and you can kind of mm-hmm. be familiar with not necessarily being the the wide player all the time and i would say that it was kind of nice there were a couple times where moreno did have one-on-one situations around the box and he did just kind of do some step overs and try to go at the guy which is that's what i want to see from him a lot more i want him to try to take those guys on kind of going toward goal and being direct like that and so um yeah hopefully that just continues you mentioned emerson playing well at some point and i do want to get to this because i don't think we had any questions about emerson which is somewhat new for us i feel like we get questions about emerson like every week you know Mm -hmm. uh but you know but maybe he's just playing kind of well now and that's why we're not getting as many questions (laughs) about him i do want to note something though and i think it's very very interesting to kind of pick this out this is from matt doyleson they call him on the mothership matt has access to second spectrum data which is very 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 fancy and they do not i've not asked for access i doubt they would give it to me that's why i've not asked for access to it that's how fancy it is um but he says Heinemann alone pressure the ball almost 50 times and that's by far the most on the team for it lady united so maybe those are the things that we haven't been able to notice because we have not been watching emerson Heinemann every single second of every day that the, the computers and everything can yeah right yeah so maybe that's something to keep looking out for for emerson as he continues to kind of grow into this system is he applying pressures on the ball is he making those things happen and even still a couple times going forward like in transition he got into what's known as zone 14 that little arc area extended uh out of the top of the box he got into those good spots he took a shot and it just missed he was getting in the good spots as well so if you can keep doing those kind of things i feel pretty good about emerson i was joking that he needs to be the one that uh dyes his hair pink so we can track him easier over the course of the game unless instead of joseph we all know where joseph is all the time anyway uh we need mm-hmm. we need emerson with pink hair so we can really see what he's doing but yeah no i totally agree i thought that he was great we had some other questions about the wingers as well zach asked who will lead the team and overhit crosses Moreni, moreno or dom and i wanted to ask this one and not make it rapid fire because i think it kind of brings up a general sentiment we're kind of getting from folks yeah. is that the wingers are struggling which is something that we said which is something that we've said is that the wingers have not been quite up to snuff but i thought they were i think all of them were were solid in this one except for maybe not marcelino to the extent we'd want but as far as as dom coming off the bench as far as jake getting in good spots and even sometimes panic dribbling but still dribbling through a bunch of folks to get a shot off it seemed it seemed improved well Mulraney gives you exactly i think what heinze would have been looking for coming into this game which is just runners like hard direct runners into the box and that's that's his strength and uh he certainly did that i think that with jurgen dom this was the perfect game for him and like the perfect utilization of his skill set because he came into a situation where the where the fire were pushing forward they had to score a goal and so he's going to have a lot of space to exploit and he was able to do that you could see time several times he was able to use his pace get into what we're calling the Raheem sterling zone it's kind of like where the where the box intersects with the end line there um and and he can pull those cutbacks and things like that and so i thought that it was a perfect utilization for him i don't know if he will be as effective if atlanta is chasing a goal late in the game and it, and mm. the opposition is just sat in a low block i don't think he's going to have that same space to exploit um but he can certainly certainly be a player that helps kill the game for you so i thought it was overall obviously uh, a good performance from him and as, as it relates to overhit crosses that's just the nature of crosses like that's why crosses are generally not like 
what you're aiming for in terms of chance creation, just because that's just you just, it's just ran, it's, it's just random. You know, there's so much luck involved on, with getting on the end of them. I will say, I think a way to kind of counteract that is just simply have more people in the box. So there's less sure. chance that you ever hit it. That's still something I would kind of like to see a little bit more of is, is Atlanta actually getting players into the box going forward, especially when the ball does kind of get into that Raheem Sterling zone and elsewhere. But but yeah, I would also say an overhit cross to me is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes you can overhit a cross and then a winger on the other side is on the end of it and he's like in a one-on-one situation with a fullback that can create an additional chance so not the end of the world i think as long as you're just creating havoc for the opposition then that's what you want to extend on that a little bit philip had a question who asked thoughts on dom's performance off the bench if he can accept coming off bench and playing like that it gives team a great dynamic in the games philip we completely agree i think i think all of us do yeah it's such a extra element and like you said Joe, i don't know how much it's going to help breaking teams down but at the end of games we can basically say human dagger Jurgen Dom. Yeah. Maybe double-sided dagger because sometimes he makes mistakes that you go, what the hell? <laughs> but right now it seems to be working out at the very end of games for sure. And for he'll sure. he'll obviously get his fair share of starts over the course of the season too, but I do think that it speaks to Atlanta United's depth that they have a player like him with his skill set that can come in and you know, he's not the the most skillful player in the world, but having that kind of pace is something that is pretty rare, uh very rare. I'm just looking at the numbers, so um that's helpful. And like we've said before, it's just like chucking a grenade into the middle of a crowd in this game, like you yeah. just throw it and it's going <laughs> to it's going to hit somebody. You know that for sure. You don't quite know where it who it's going to hit, but it's going to hit something. So it's a whole new dynamic. It really is. We had a question about another dynamic and it's one that uh, I don't know, man. I don't know on this one. Chris H is asking, I'm extremely confused by the role Lissandro is playing. He seems to be dropping extremely deep as well as moving extremely wide at times and is, in my opinion, not particularly effective trying to cover all this ground. Uh, What is your view on what he's trying to do and can we get more out of him? Am I being too negative? I will say that he is covering some ground. He was not quite Emerson level, but he was kind of listed in the group of, of Atlanta United players who in that second spectrum data had been putting out um, a lot of pressures on the ball, but maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's some truth to he isn't quite covering enough ground to make it really count. Yeah, I mean, I gave him a pretty low rating in the in our player ratings. He may have been my lowest rated player. I didn't think he was it's just interesting with a player like him because you wouldn't want to rely on him to try to like be playing up high pressed up against the center backs and trying to get in behind because that's not what he's good at and he won't do that <laughs> so so what can he do you know and and what he can do is drop off of those center backs and you can play to his feet and he can combine with with runners who are running out in front of him but just in general i feel like i'm a little bit down on Lo- on lopez right now because it just doesn't feel like the team overall has the same kind of forward thrust that they would when joseph martinez is in the game and and and, cre- and creating that penetrating run but you know i think that he did probably what G- gabriel Lanze would have asked of him to do which is again to put those pressures on the ball and just to be a link up guy when you have a dude being like the falsest of nines and coming that (laughs) you need the guys on the wings who are going to make those runs in behind and everything like that to to really create the pressure and everything you know going Mm -hmm. forward we don't got those dudes that's not where the dudes are people are saying hey i think we found some dudes last week that's not where the dudes are the dudes are when joseph shows up and looks sharp and can really push forward and be kind of a spearhead for the attack it's such a different dynamic you noticed it immediately you noticed how effective joseph looked in short spaces you noticed how he was able to come back 
and play those long balls over the top in a way that Lissandro wasn't able to all game, really. And again, he jumped. Joseph jumped. That's huge. <laughs> That's huge. He's got pink hair now. Everything seems about right with the world, but it's such a different dynamic. And it's what you really want to see from this team and how this team is going to be truly effective going forward when you have that spearhead at the top with mm-hmm. Joseph, mm-hmm. right? And- because this is not a team that's on the wings is going to get behind people. It's a team that's going to create chances from the wings, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And I'll say the positive about having a guy like Lissandra Lopez is especially in tandem with Joseph Martinez is that they just have very different skill sets, which is useful in terms of how you utilize different players. And I am very interested still to see how those two might look like together if and when they are on the field at the same time, probably when Atlanta United is chasing a game later on in the season. Uh, We'll be interesting to see how that how those guys can combine, because it does seem like they would have the the right kinds of contrasting characteristics that would make them effective. To add to the, the falsest of nine things, too, I mean, like your your goal there is to obviously pull some center backs up, get some space in behind and everything like that. Center backs weren't really biting on him. I, I kind of noticed that midway through the game, there's how far off they were playing from Lissandro, just not really worrying about him, because when he gets the ball, there's kind of the question of, OK, what's he going to do? He's going to try you to. Know? Yeah, he's trying to play it on to somebody who is going to be the threat to those center backs. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it kind of seems obvious right now. And I think they, they figured that out pretty quickly in this one. But hey, it worked out. And I fully expect Joseph to, to start on Tuesday. But we'll get to rotations a little more in a second. We have a question from Teodal Football. But another player who I didn't think we we're going to get a question about. But but here we are. Teodal <laughs> Football asks, is Brad Gazan good again? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> He made, he made a good save early in the game. I thought he was generally decent. The Barrage flick that went over his head would have been pretty embarrassing. That would have been a bad yeah. one, but he was saved by the goalpost there. Um, I've never been as negative on Braggazan as I like. I think you and Toyota Football have been uh, just based on the stats, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much you can take from a single game, though, either. Yeah, no, I, I think I think Toyota was just messing with us a little bit. Oh, God damn that's it. Okay. That's OK. That's <laughs> OK. I thought the distribution struggled at times, but that's just what it is at this point yeah like i'm not you know we, we can't harp on it too much y'all stop y'all stop worrying about distribution it is what it is this is what it is marshall ask am i the only one who is getting so much joy watching our team make passes past the couple of obvious passes to a wide open person on the other side of the pitch and this is something i think i tried to articulate to you at some point joe but i did a bad job of it during the game where the team is playing these switches in transition these long diagonal kind of switches and you can clearly see the intent by what is supposed to happen there and how that is supposed to mess with the width of the back line defending and Mm. create opportunities to run into spaces that are created by those changes and they're really really fun to watch and it's an element that i don't remember tata incorporating a lot and of course frank definitely didn't incorporate any of it (laughs) but to see those kind of diagonal switches in transition it's a really interesting thing to watch and it's something I think we saw in the Vela Sarsfeld highlights and everything like that and some of their best moves is when they did make those switches and change play and really give the defense something different to look at. Yeah and I think perfect uh, evidence of this was that chance that we talked about earlier where Joseph played that long diagonal mm-hmm. ball to Barco and it's like I'm probably maybe in past years you would expect Barco to move toward Joseph or toward the side of the field that Joseph was on but he was drifting away from Joseph but Joseph you know but Joseph was able to see him and make that pass and yeah i think that that is very interesting and that will um create a ton of chances that they can just continue to 
to do that kind of thing. Yeah, because I think the I think the general principle behind it is you switch the play and then you get a numbers advantage on the opposite yeah, side. Exactly. As everyone shifts towards the ball, you get guys coming into these spaces where the defense isn't anymore. And that'll that'll turn into goals. The more they keep executing that, you're exactly right here. Whoever asked Marshall, you're Johan. exactly right here, Marshall. This is exactly uh what should be making you happy because that's gonna turn into goals as well. Johan Cruyff would say bad players, you help them by coming to them. Good players, you help them by moving away from them and you help yourself as well. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, let's see. We had a question from Jay who asked the defense still looks wobbly. A better team would have likely scored more goals on us. Will Franco be that missing piece or there'll still be work to do? Jay, we're going to disagree with you here <laughs> strongly. I think we kind of touched on it already, but for us, the, the defense has been very good. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really think it looked wobbly. Um, I think maybe, you know, sometimes when you're pressing, you're going to get broken down from time to time. But I, I don't think that that's something to be worried about in general. And I don't think that really happened all that much in this game, at least from what I can remember. Uh, but I haven't been able to watch the game back because I don't have I'm not, I don't have the ability to record it right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know what to say other than I didn't really see that, I guess. But I have no issues of how this defense is going to look. I mean, I think they're you know, obviously Alan, adding a piece like Alan Franco is only going to fortify everything. So um, as, and especially his characteristics of being as pacey as he is having that SEC speed at the back is going to be mm-hmm. very useful in terms of helping give the midfielders the confidence that they can press up even higher. And I think that that's something that we'll probably see defensively with this team is just continuing to push that block higher and higher as the season progresses and players just get more comfortable with the idea. Yeah. Again, the nature of this is that the center backs are going to be on an island at times a little bit, right? Sure. And even yeah. still, I really haven't noticed it a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, agree. Not, it, it's going to be different. They're not going to have like two or three guys there to, to really back them up in the same way that the Frank tried to get them to do that. Um, it's, it's going back to the ways of Tata where it's like, all right, you guys are here. Figure it out. And they've been doing that because they have the talent to do that. Miles, Anton, everyone in the back really has the talent to do that right now. Yeah. And I would definitely say that the Orlando game, there were definitely times where they looked, I guess, if you want to use the term wobbly, but they were more on an island. And I think it was because Orlando was playing more directly going to goal. Um, Um, with just long balls. And that's honestly, that's the way that you counter a high pressing team is playing it long and and finding those situations where you can get one-on-one with your center backs. But again, that's why I think Gabriel Hanze really was determined to get a quality center back in because he knows that those players are going to be in those positions and he needs them to be able to handle those one-on-ones. And that's something that I forget who was saying. Jake Moraney was again, talking about how Hanze is all about like, beat your man, track your man, mark your man, you know, like win your, win your individual battles with your, with your man. And he's very passionate about that. Before we move on to some questions about tomorrow's game, anything else you want to add from a very fun night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium? I just want to say something that's like kind of um, meta, I guess. And I don't know if this is going to come out the way I'm thinking of it in my head, but as it relates to the pandemic and everything and, and with fans coming back into the stadium, I think that the, the pandemic really kind of, exposed the triviality of sports in general. And I think that sports has kind of been dinged a bit just in terms of its, you know, we were talking about engagement earlier with fans and everything, but I think that, you know, people can kind of see like what is important in this world. And, you know, we need to, you know, focus on those things. I know when MLS is back was happening, there were some people were like, we shouldn't be doing this because there's, you know, pandemic and all these, you know, serious situations happening in the world. Um, And I think that Saturday night really, um, 
kind of showed why sports are important, because people could come back together behind a common cause, despite its triviality, maybe even because of its triviality. (laughs) The fact that, you know, people were just able to get back together again, have a good time, be a community. That's what sports are about. That's what we try to espouse here, um, both at Dirty South Soccer and on this podcast. So um, that's like, I think, the overall thing that made me so happy about Saturday night. Just to detour a little bit with you here. And I know that was kind of out of the blue. No, this is this is uh, this is good. And this is um, look, this next part's going to be sad. If you guys want to like hit that 15 second button a few times here, (laughs) that's totally okay. Um, I have a story coming soon on the mothership. Maybe it may have already started running. I don't know. Um, It's about an Atlanta United fan here. Some of y'all may know who this is, uh, but they lost their wife and their father within the span of about five weeks, uh, both to COVID uh, during this. And I know that they were looking for tickets for him and his 12 year old son were looking for tickets for this game. Um, They talked about uh, how much you know, it's going to mean for them to be back in the stadium to to be there, even if there is an empty seat next to them where, you know, his mom, his wife would have been. Um, and, you know, th- there were some feelers put out for them. People knew that they wanted tickets. And I think I think I haven't checked in on this, but I think eventually someone in the Atlanta United community was able to find tickets for them to be at this game in particular on Saturday. Um, and I, I, I imagine that was very meaningful. I can't speak for them, but I imagine that was very meaningful and it was meaningful for me to see people come together to help them out as best they can mm. even if it's something as simple as providing them with with tickets to a game so i'm going to completely agree with you there about the triviality making it almost more important mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um in the grand scheme of things and that's all i got you guys can come back now i'm sorry that nature was is healing nature is healing <laughs> <laughs> um and, and thanks to chris as well for speaking to me to that story hopefully that'll run soon on the mothership and hopefully it has some meaning for folks moving on to more on the field matters there is a game to play tuesday as well and it's a big one it's a huge one i, I want to go ahead and start off by just kind of pointing out the importance of all this because because ladies and gentlemen if Atlanta united wins this tie there is a nice long break mm-hmm. before a champions league semi-final a semi-final you get a nice long break it's uh i think the the competition would start back up in august i believe what was it was in august in, wow i was thinking like midsummer yeah wow that is a long break so all the things we normally say about mls being troubled by having to play at the start of the year Mm. would not only be canceled out by atlanta united getting a few extra months of playing time together it's also right at the start of the liga mx season you know who we'd probably be playing club america (laughs) oh boy i got the tingles that felt good that felt good to think about that would be and that would be an incredible home leg if that were to if that were all to transpire oh man it would be wild Uh, yes tech it would be wild in the semifinal i think i think they would actually show up for that against atlanta um they have not shown up for like round of 16 games in the past yeah i don't blame them but you know it's it could be insane there it'd be the tie i think in in all this competition but first before for that one club america has to get past portland portland's nothing to mess around with two Atlanta united has to get past philadelphia and that as someone asked i'm gonna go and answer this one right off the top is a tough draw 
It is. Philadelphia is a good team. We know this. They lost to Inter Miami 2-1 to one on Saturday. Uh, the brothers Iguain got goals late in that one, uh, kind of out of nowhere. I think one was off a set piece. The other one came kind of flukily. And that was a stunning loss. Honestly, I really didn't expect Inter Miami to go up to Philadelphia and make that happen. But we had a few questions about this one. We'll kind of get into a little more. And this will be our little Philadelphia preview before we move into a really big game on Tuesday night at the Benz. Let's see. First off, we'll get to this. Patrick Steimer asks, should Atlanta United be considered serious contenders for the champions or is it too soon? And I'm going to say, considering everything I just said about the way the schedule is shaping up, they should absolutely be considered contenders. Totally. The way this team looks like it could be in August, the way it could handle Philadelphia in this one, theoretically, they're absolutely contenders for this. (laughs) They are. And I just can't get over how freaking hilarious it would be if Atlanta United finds themselves, you know, (laughs) in any of these late stage scenarios. You mean the 2019 U.S. Open Cup? champions yes, Atlanta yes. United after having been one of the worst teams in MLS last year uh, and then to just kind of rebuild the squad or, you know rebuild the identity of this team and then to find themselves back competing no I think that they will be and I think that honestly the way you described it the way you set it up there Sam shows perfectly why you know especially if they get by this tie the, this leg or this uh, you know this tie against the Philadelphia Union and even if the Philadelphia Union you know whoever wins it I think is going yeah. to have an advantage in this next leg over what an advantage over what you would normally find against the Liga MX team. So, uh, yeah, absolutely considered uh, considered a, a, a contender, I think. And, man, it's fun to think about how, how much of a shithouse it would be if Atlanta United were to find themselves in, like, a semifinal or even a final. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, man, we definitely are. Feels good to think about. Um, let's, let's bring things back to the present <laughs> and talk about any possible rotations. We had a couple of questions from Tommy and Payson. Uh, Payson asked, can we have a Joseph start on Tuesday as a treat? And Tommy asked, I assume we'll see some turnover this game maybe franco gets his first start maybe an eric lopez siding which by the way congrats to you eric lopez did get it an actual game joe patrick looked great he looked great when he got in <laughs> i don't know he, t- he did he, he, he did. had like one nice pass at least that i noticed that i remembered um yeah it i mean i think and like the principle of the thing yeah, yeah i think Go joseph ahead. probably starts you know you're Lysander lopez it's, i think it's unrealistic to think that he would be able to start again i think maybe the alternative to joseph would be kubo torres but i don't think that he seems to be in the picture right now either joseph would certainly have more match fitness than him anyway so i would expect joseph to start i think jurgen dam will probably start um you know those wingers requires a lot of running so i could definitely see rotation there i think barco probably will start just because he's so important to this team i could see franco abara coming in for Heinemann. um it really there is a lot of depth on this team right now and it's really fortunate that um you have guys like santiago sosa and ezekiel barco who can be kind of be your your guys who you rely on for most games but then you have a lot of these ancillary parts that you can swap in and out and not lose a ton of quality. So I think that you could see around the periphery of this team, a lot of rotation happen in this game. Yeah, like I think you're right. I think that core kind of stays together, but we may see a few guys kind of go in and out. But then again, I asked Gabby about this yeah, on yeah. like Thursday or Wednesday or something like that. And he was like, I'm just going to play whoever I feel like playing. <laughs> and how <laughs> he, dare you ask me this? He doesn't, he certainly doesn't seem like the man, kind of manager who's going to rotate, like just to rotate uh, or like rotate yeah. because like, oh, this guy needs minutes. Let's play him in this game. Like he's going to pick the team that he thinks can win. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went full strength a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think I imagine I can't imagine Brooks is going to play. We didn't 
mention that, but Brooks uh, did yeah. go out of this one with a concussion protocol. I don't know if he was actually diagnosed with a concussion. He does have one hell of a black eye. Uh, he took a hard, I think it was a shoulder to the yeah. face, right in the orbital bone. They said after the game they were going to continue to monitor him for like 24, 48 hours his, for potential concussion symptoms. So I think that it's likely that we will not see him just based on the fact that they might still kind of be in monitoring mode as of today. Which brings us to another thing we didn't really get to talk about was Jack Gurr's performance. Yeah. Uh, I thought he did. I thought he looked solid. He, he's athletic. He can move well. Um, I don't think he got on the ball too much, but he wasn't a total disaster when he did. You know, otherwise we would have noticed it. I think that's a maybe a solid option. Do you think Jack gets the start? Uh, I think he's got a great chance to make the start if he's not, you know, if, if assuming Lennon is out. And it was really interesting that Gurr was the guy who came in instead of Roland Hernandez, the guy who we, there was kind of a lot more hype around him. So but Gurr is uh, just a great story from Georgia Gwinnett College. I mean, originally from the Newcastle area. Uh, he's British, but he's been living in Georgia now for a long time. Um, and just to kind of come up through every single, um, I'm going to put in quotes, minor league soccer kind of rank from Georgia Gwinnett College to playing in you know lower professional levels and finally to get here is uh, an amazing story for him. And it speaks to his, his quality that he came in, played pretty well. Um, he just uses the ball very well. I feel like that's like the thing about him is he just makes the correct decision all the time um and that's very helpful so i I think that he has a great chance to to make a start here we had some questions as well i think kind of looking at what the union are this year we'll we'll use parker's as a baseline parker in a very parker way parker congrats on the kid by the way we love you parker are the union frauds again like in 2019 or good now actually like in 2020 there are some questions about this team of course you lose brendan aronson he's off to one of the red bulls uh you lose mark mckenzie who's off to genk in, in belgium and those are two pretty pretty big pieces uh you have a big piece in the midfield there and you lose a center back but so far i mean excluding a, a goofy in the game loss to enter miami they've looked just about the same and i don't i wouldn't call them better right now but just about the same as the team that won the supporters shield interestingly jim Curtin did decide to play a full strength 11 in the game on saturday which i mean they lost but he did play a full strength 11 at the very same it'll be interesting to see if he decides to make all our rotations because it is a team that is good but you do kind of wonder about depth in a couple spots um center back is not one of those they brought in Stuart finley from i believe a celtic to be that third center back he may get into this one instead of jack elliott or jacob glesness um where you see some real kind of attrition is maybe at right back i imagine olivier Mbizo will be the starter he has been all year but you go a step beyond that and there's kind of no one there because Mbizo was the backup to ray gaddis who is gone um in the midfield you could see someone like Osinio come in and start he did not play in the last game Anthony Fontana did not get the start as well so there, there are some options here um but I don't know I imagine we see a pretty full strength 11 for Philadelphia in this one are they good sounds good to yes. me <laughs> yes that's my answer that's my answer um we had a couple of tactical questions too uh, about how you can kind of enter or counteract a 4-4-2 diamond mm. which Philadelphia is very very partial to and how that kind of fits in our system uh, generally I think the kind of consensus for attacking a 4-4-2 diamond is to get in the wide areas mm-hmm. and everything like that I will say that the two starting fullbacks for Philadelphia are pretty good I wouldn't say they're extremely athletic they maybe don't have the pace of some of the other guys but they are very very good and Mbizo and, and Kai Wagner who is just a stud Kai Wagner is going to, to 
to Europe soon. Yeah. 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 Um, so can maybe, maybe Joe, maybe you can offer some thoughts on that on, on attacking a four, four, two diamond. Well, I love a four, four, two diamond. I, it, it may be my favorite formation in general, uh, in soccer, just because it has, you can, there's so much variability to it and flexibility to it. And I think it gives you the strongest center. Uh, you know, if you think about it, like chess, you know, like, like it gives you control of the center of the, of the board, so to speak, you can really crowd teams out who want to play through there. And you can really kind of dictate if you're playing it well, you can dictate kind of how the game is played by the opposition and make it predictable. So I really like a 4-4-2 diamond. And I remember seeing the Union play in person when Atlanta United played them in the playoffs in 2019. And I thought that Atlanta was kind of fortunate to win that game because they, they Jim Curtin just has them playing it so well. He's almost like the 4-4-2 diamond guru in the way that he has those guys connected and, and playing it well, kind of no matter what pieces are involved. So uh, I think they're always going to be a dangerous team as long as he's their manager. And um, it's yeah, I think exploiting the wings essentially is how you do that. You try to overload the, those oppos- opposing fullbacks and then switching the play also is going to be very important. And I think that that's where, you know, something that we talked about earlier with Atlanta making those long diagonal switches. I think that will be key. I think they'll have to do that a lot in this game um, or not a lot, but they just need to be effective when they do do it um, to, to exploit the space that Philadelphia will will leave open for them. I love Philadelphia's back line and it's going to be really, really difficult to find that space especially if you are trying to play the switches and someone like Jose Martinez is reading the game behind him a blonde Jose Martinez of all people he's the uh the, the holding midfielder for them he's an absolute stud he's a top three defensive midfielder in the league pretty easily um he knows how to bring crazy guy to the fight energy <laughs> and, and like maintain it though mm-hmm. like you're you're scared of him he knows exactly what he's gonna do <laughs> right um he's awesome uh yeah no I, I'm I'm interested to see how they kind of break down that spine because it's, it's still really good even without Mark McKenzie. I'm a big Jack Elliott fan. I think Jake Glesnes is, is as underrated as a center back. That's a really good pairing. I am a bit concerned tactically, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about how to exploit the wings. I think a 4-4-2 diamond sets up really well for Philadelphia, a team that loves to hit in transition and is maybe the best team at hitting in transition that isn't like a LAFC team right now. But you have the two forwards in the middle with Casper Puz- 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 that guy, Casper, <laughs> And you have Sergio Santos as well. And one of the kind of tricky things with what Gabriel Einze does is the center backs do kind of flare out wide a little bit. And the knock has always been if you hit and transition down the middle, mm-hmm. uh, if there is a turnover, that you can really be successful in that. So the two forwards there kind of concern me a little bit. It's going to be fascinating, honestly. I'm not looking at this game more about like, oh, I, I mean, like I want Atlanta United to win the game, but I'm more just intrigued to see how Atlanta United handles this challenge because this I, I, I really feel like this is a tactical challenge like they haven't faced yet so far this season and it will just be interesting to see how Heinze can get his players to adapt um, if needed and uh, and succeed or fail and I think it will be interesting either way mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely Atlanta's gonna have a lot of work through in the midfield as well it's such a good midfield you have Jamiro Montero who is just he's on another planet right now for the most part with what he's doing getting on the ball and scoring creating chances everything like that uh, they also brought in a guy Leon Flack who's very good in the midfield they still have another homegrown Anthony Fontana 
who reminds me of the music nerd guy on YouTube, but isn't him apparently. And he's really good. It's <laughs> it's going to be a hell of a thing for them to get past this team, y'all. Like, don't sleep on Philadelphia. They are not frauds mm. in no way, shape, or form. They can do it, but it's going to be a hell of a thing <laughs> to get it done. Joe Patrick, it's going to be a hell of a thing to get this done as well. Whether you're ready or not, this is rapid fire. Joseph's dad bot asks, how long did Joe weep when Eric Lopez was subbed in? I didn't weep, but I got a little teary-eyed. Timu Puki asks, would you consider Philly a tough draw? Yes. Yes, we would. Tony asks, if the union were a cheesesteak, how would it be served? Hot? Josh asks, are cheesesteaks dead? Um, There's that cheesesteak place over by Piedmont, like Woody's, I think is what it's called. It's pretty good. I love cheesesteaks. Uh, you can't Man, hate on cheesesteaks. Come on. This is, this, is, this is not the people we need to be he's, attacking. He's got to wrap them in tin foil for yeah. and like let them sit for five minutes so the bun gets exactly, nice and steamy. Exactly. This is rapid fire, but I'm like, going to say this really quickly. Philadelphia has like the same chaotic energy as Atlanta at times. <laughs> and I think we like, I don't know, there should be more of a kindred spirit there, I think. Yeah. Um, Jared asks, with the quality Santiago Soso is showing, will he be a long-term part of the team or a big sale to help build the future of the team? Um, I think it's going to be sold at some point here. He won't be around for too long. He's too good. Yeah, I mean, I think probably two years. Like, if he lasts through yeah. the, the Heinze era and then, yeah. Steven asks, will the union wear their ugly new shirts, which are clearly sapping their soccer skills? Steven, what the hell are you talking about? Those things are amazing. The light blues? You know what I'm talking about, Joe. The fan design light blue uniforms? Joe, you know what I'm talking about. Joe, yeah. You, really? Yeah. <laughs> You've seen them. You've seen them. Um, El Habro asks, what is the backup plan at defensive midfielder if Sosa gets injured soon before Adams comes back from surgery? Uh, <laughs> Good question. That's a great question. Good question. Maybe a three at the back? I don't know. <laughs> um, ben asks, what non-mainstream Atlanta brewery should I try with Sam now that I'm vaxxed the F up? And Joe, if he's down to make new friends. Joe, I only know mainstream breweries. Where are me and Ben going? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm the wrong person to ask this question. Breweries, 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 breweries. No, um, Everyone goes to that know. Imagine Dentorium thing off Memorial. That thing's pretty okay. Ben, just text me, man. We'll figure it out. Uh, Bar asks, after two weeks, which MLS team is the least surprising performer based on your expectations? In other words, they are who they thought we were. Metric for me, it is San Jose, who has went out and lost to Houston in a game they looked really bad in and then went out and thumped Dallas. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Perfect. Uh, Ribbit underscore Inger asks, did Sosa have words <laughs> with Barco at halftime about stealing his goal or is he just going to quietly wait for a chance to kill him? That is the thing. Like, we almost yelled same team before Barco <laughs> yeah. shot that because Sosa was like coming up to maybe, probably not do the same. Sosa was like, I'm going to like gently pass this thing. We need to calm down and Zeke said, no, my ball and kicked it really, really hard. I'm sure they're fine. I think I think Santiago was perfectly fine with the outcome there. Um, Mark Bertram asks, given our history with him, what are the odds that Marufo refs the game in a competent manner? Um, it's a, you know, MLS ref. They're going to they're gonna do things. They're going to do what they do. CONCACAF ref, even. Yeah, that's all I got there. Um, Will asks, on a scale of one to Anthony Hopkins, where is Guzan? Like a six? Um... <laughs> I don't know where Anthony Hopkins is on this scale. Um, I'll, I'll go no uh, for this. 6.9. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Neat. All right. That was rapid fire. <laughs> we need to get out of here. Um, Joe, any final thoughts before we duck? Nope. I'm just uh, very excited. Very excited. Fun Beautiful. fun night. Go check out the Lorena View. It's in your feeds now. Go check out the Patreon at well, as well as patreon.com slash five stripe. Fine. We'll have more content coming to you and more audio and more everything like that throughout the week. Uh, we probably will hold 
hold off on a show until after Saturday against New England, but we'll recap everything, preview the second leg of the tie, everything like that. Just keep an eye out on Twitter at Five Strike Final and elsewhere in the world. Good luck out there. We love y'all. Bye, y'all. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.